Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I love you all. Oh. Right back at you. Mwah, 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 heart, whatever y'all do right now. Uh, hey, uh, before we get rolling, um, I, I want to just point out something that maybe you miss because it's common. Usually you miss what's right in front of your face, um, you know, when it, you just get used to it. And you come to Hume Lake, you have this amazing experience, you know, the band's amazing, the, the staff's amazing, all the activities are amazing. But what you might miss is the real heroes of the trip. And that is your leaders. The ones that took time out of their schedules, their lives, their families, and they said, you know what, for six days, I'm gonna invest fully in my kids. And so would you do me a favor? Would you just give them a massive round of applause? They are... But, but here, here's, here's the other part I want you to catch. Because camp, camp is going to end. You're going to go home. Um, but the cool part is, is um, when you go home, they go with you. And so they are, they are committed to your journey. They're committed to your growth. They're committed to your success. And so don't miss that. The camp's great. This place is awesome. All this has been a blast. I've had so much fun, but don't miss the fact that there are adult men and women that care deeply about you. And so when you don't feel like you matter, you do. Because people burn vacation, people burn time with their family just for you. Oh man, the spoken word after watching all the videos, it worked. Okay, I got it, I got it. Hey, so we're on the last day, right? And, and here's the cool part, and here's the crazy part of uh, the whole resurrection story is that Jesus, while conquering the grave, which we all celebrate, actually created one of the nastiest breakups in all of history, right? And do you wanna know how I can recognize a nasty breakup? I have been dumped a lot, uh, more than I, I just stopped counting that many times. That's, it's a lot. But, um, but also here, here's the thing, here's the thing about a breakup is we all know someone that's had a nasty breakup story, right? Like if uh, my girl, she raised her hand. I, thank you for volunteering. Okay, a couple of you. But I wanna tell you, I wanna tell you a story about a breakup I had. I got asked the very first night while I was on stage, they said, hey, did you meet your wife at camp? I did not. However, I met the worst breakup I had at camp. It was a middle school camp where we fell in whatever you fall in in middle school. And we were like, hey, we'll be together forever. And then we went home and we never saw each other until we ran into each other at a party in college, right? And so I'm sitting there going like, camp romance, is it you? And she said, well, I didn't say that because that would have been creepy. Um, I remembered her name. That was good. And so, uh, and so we, we started dating. We actually met at another, or we met at a party and ended up volunteering at a summer camp together, unbeknownst to each of us. And we're coming together. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this is the will of God. And, and so, so we're at camp and things are going well. And so what do, what do I do as a guy who fell way too fast, way too quick for a girl in his life? I ditched all my friends, my hobbies, and I went all in in 30 days. Yeah. So hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't, don't, don't point your fingers. Everybody does it. You're fine. So, so we go all in and for about a year and a half, it was super, super good. Until one day she looked at me and she said, 
I think we need to take a break. Been there, been there. Now, now, I, I have not, I, I mean, I've been, I've been dumped, so yeah, there was some time, a year and a half invested, but I was like, okay, I mean, I was heartbroken, and thank God, my roommate in college was there for me. Every time I spent with her, he now let me spend with him. Every moment that would have been with her, it was with him. For about four solid weeks, when we were hanging out, he pulls me back to my car, he said, hey, bro, I need to talk to you about something. I said, yeah, anything for you, man, I owe you. He goes, I think God wants me to ask out your ex-girlfriend. And I looked at him, I looked at him and said, I don't think he did because he did not tell me this. And he seems to be pretty powerful. He could have relayed the message to me. And he goes, no, 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 man, I'm, I'm serious. Like, I really think God is leading me to ask out your girlfriend. I said, yeah, no. And he said, well, I'm just looking for your blessing. I was like, yeah, I'm not giving that. I'm not doing that at all. And so I got out of his car and unbeknownst to me, he called her anyways and he asked her out the very next day. And things must've gone really well for him because four weeks later, he got down on one knee and proposed. Stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. They only give me so much time. Don't ruin it by talking to my story. So, So she gets down and proposes four weeks later. That's devastating. And that was pretty bad. Now, they both worked at a very large church where I was from, and they wanted to do a campaign to support and help marriages grow. And so they needed some couples to volunteer to be the poster children of this uh, campaign that they were running. And since they're both not horrific looking, they thought we should use them. And so they took their picture and they posted it on billboards and bus tails and movie preview screens all over the city of Louisville, Kentucky. And you know, you know how you kind of wonder what happened to the people that you know, I fell in love with and, and whatever, I don't see them really, whatever happened to them. And fortunate for me, they actually bought the billboard right next to my house. And so every time I would get in my car, I got to, I was like, you know, I wonder what happened to, oh, they're happy. They're very happy. I'm not, but they are. So there's that. And then my friends were brutal. I got, I don't, I had the friends that were like never encouraging. They were like, they were always like Buster Chops kind of friends. And so I would literally have friends call me and they're like, hey bro, are you sitting down? I was like, yeah, what, what's up? He goes, your best friend and your girlfriend are on a billboard somewhere in Louisville. And I'm like, you're a turd. And <laughs> And, and, but it was, it was just that kind of dynamic. And so I did what any mature 22-year-old would do. I packed all my stuff and I moved out to California as far away as possible. Out of sight, out of mind. You know, I got, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm out in California and I get a call like, hey, they decided on a wedding date. And I was like, uh, okay, so I'm out of sight, out of mind. It's no big deal. And they said, well, you might be interested. I said, probably not. And they said, they chose August 17th. And I said, that's weird. I was born on August 17th. Are you really? My man, my man. What, what does that make us? Leo's? Is that, I don't, I don't know. Is it? Okay, whatever. Uh, so anyways, so I was like, no worries. Out of sight, out of mind, no big deal. Until I got a call. Your grandfather was in an accident and he needed to come home. And so I got to spend my birthday and their wedding day in Kentucky, where my friends and his friends, the groomsmen, would go to the rehearsal dinner and then sit on my back porch. 
And it was the craziest moment of my life going like, this is really, really weird. And all this chaos really started in my life with one simple phrase is like, I think we need to go our separate ways. And here's where we pick up the stories. It's a very human moment for the disciples. They went all in. They, they kind of forgot their jobs. They forgot their families. And they just followed this Jesus character all over the place. And they took risks and they seemed to pay off. And all of a sudden they were gaining popularity. And all of a sudden Jesus is like, I'm going to go die now. And they're like, no, no. And then he goes to the grave. And yesterday we read he rose up and they saw the empty tomb and they believed. But they were confused and they were lost. And yet they were strangely excited. Because when you stop a relationship that drives most of your life, the question you have to ask yourself is, what now? And the truth is, is a lot of you probably find yourself in that exact same boat. You've had this amazing week. You've had this amazing time together. And the relationships that have seemed to propel you forward in a connection with God are going to quickly go away in other campers and home staff and in the programming and all this kind of stuff. And all is going to go away. And while you're strangely excited because what God has done this last week, you've got to be somewhat nervous of like, what is the whole next phase look like? What does it really look like when I walk off this campus and into my house? A house where some of you may not love being. A house where some of you may not have support for decisions that you've made this week. Walk into a group of friends that have no idea what happened in your life this week, and yet you got to enter back in, and it's like, well, I'm excited, but I'm nervous. I'm unsure. I'm uncertain. Because anytime you sever a relationship and you're left to kind of rebuild what's next, you can't help but wonder what's on the other side of the unseen. And you're in luck because there's a group of 11 men that felt the exact same way you did. And that's where we pick up our story in John today. It simply is the disciples on John 20. It's Sunday evening after the tomb and the the disciples are meeting, here it is, behind locked doors. Why? Because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They just saw, they knew that Jesus had walked out of the grave. They haven't seen him, but they know he's alive. And so they're, oh man, this is awesome. But what does this mean for us, right? Oh, great. We have our eternity figured out. When we die, we go to heaven. But I need to know what to do on Tuesday. You know, the promise of eternity is so great, but let's be honest. You're 11, you're 12, you're 13. That's a long way away. And if Jesus' death and resurrection was simply all about making sure your afterlife is taken care of, then why don't you just try to time your death, live it up, get forgiveness, drop your rock, and get the golden ticket on your way out of this earth? Or what if the promise that Jesus makes is way more about sins in eternity or way more about what starts now than just about sins in eternity? 
What if Jesus' promise and the commitment you made is all about a better life today than waiting to die? You know, one of the problems that I see with the church in general, the local American church, is the fact that everyone just hangs on eternity. And so what that means is we all have a bunch of Jesus followers that are just waiting to die and go, when I go, life will just get better. That's what I'm waiting on. And in the meantime, they're just throwing away all the years that Jesus gives them. And so the disciples are sitting in this room and they're like, great, we're forgiven. You did it, Jesus. But I don't know what to do now. And then suddenly, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Do you know why Jesus said, peace be with you? Because they were freaked out. It's a locked door. There's Jesus. The last time they saw him, he was dying. And now he's standing there. And here's the cool part about Jesus. Jesus just gets us. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. And they were filled with joy as they saw the Lord. So I'm going to make a confession just between us. When I see something that throws me off, or the first time, I always feel this need to investigate. And so the disciples are in this room and they feel the same need. They, Jesus pops in and they're like, oh my gosh, it's a guy that was dead and now he's not dead. This is crazy. And so while Jesus is kind of talking to him, he's like, peace be with you. And I don't think Jesus was like, hey, look, look at my hands, look at my feet. You know, I think they were just like, he's like, peace be with you. And they're all like, is that, what the, look at that. And I think Jesus was kind of like, oh, okay, here you go, here you go. So here's my confession, because it's in you and it's in me. My first funeral, first funeral I ever went to was my grandmother. Never seen a body in a casket. And I was so confused. So I poked her. Because I didn't know what to do. I was an eight-year-old boy, and I was just confused. And I feel that's exactly what the disciples were doing, is they were just kind of like, I don't know what to do in this moment. And so they're like touching his hands and his wrists and all this kind of stuff going, is this legit? And Jesus is just so calm. He's not like, hey, do you want to talk about the fact that I just walked through a wall after I beat death? They're like, all right, look at the scars. Come on, you're fine. Peace be with you. And so they're just absolutely stunned. And so again, he said, peace be with you. He's like, now that I got your attention, now that you did all the exploring, you did the eight-year-old boy poke, you know, uh, now that I got your attention, I'm going to start my speech all over. Peace be with you. And then catch this. As the father sent me, so I am sending Jesus walked the earth with these men for three and a half years. And do you know what he said? What I did in the last three and a half years, how God sent me to do that. Now I'm telling you, go do that. And do you know what they thought? I'm not ready. Jesus, you did miracles. You turned the world on its head. You had boldness and confidence where people shudder. I, I'm not the guy. Can you find someone else? I'm not ready. I'm not good enough. You can find someone better. Just not me. 
It's not that I don't love you. It's not that I don't believe in you. I just don't believe you can use me. I get the forgiveness thing and that's really cool, God, but I just don't really buy that you can use me to do what you did in the last three and a half years. So thank you. But please, please get someone else. We're not your people. And then Jesus does something weird and yet powerful. Verse 22 says this, then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is one of the most confusing things in Scripture. There's a lot of things, like if you ask me about the Bible, I have no problem explaining. It's very logical. It's very like, oh, it's this and it's this and it's this. Here's some facts. Here's some ideas. Here's some principles. Here, I can back a lot of that up. And it's like, hey, tell me about the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, whoo, <laughs> that is a topic. But the Holy Spirit is a gift from God to you on this life. It is the power of Jesus inside of you the day you decide to follow. In fact, a couple of verses ago before he died, Jesus said, hey, it's actually better that I go away. The disciples like, no, it's not. Because do you know what we did when you were here? We need you to follow or we need you to lead so we can follow. We need you to do the miracles so we, don't, we can know what to do. We need you to teach the kind of con contrary things so that we can go like, yeah, that's right. We can't do it without you. And Jesus goes, but if I don't go, the spirit won't come. And here's the principle that Jesus is saying to him. The Holy Spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. The Holy Spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. And you might think that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Jesus, well, he's Jesus. Why is it better that the Holy Spirit's in us and Jesus isn't here? But he, I want you to think about this. Jesus was limited to one body, right? There's one version of me. So if you wanted to talk to me and you're up at the Heights and I'm down at the boat docks and you're like, man, I would love to chat with Greg. You're gonna have to walk a very long way to get to where I am. And I want you to think about this in a very logical way. Jesus is operating out of Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands of people travel there just to see where he was, not even is, was. Can you imagine the millions that would go to Jerusalem just to see him? And so if Jesus walked the earth today, if he didn't go away, do you know what that would mean? Your relationship with Jesus wouldn't even exist because the limitations of a body would keep him from interacting with you. In fact, the only way that you would ever see Jesus in any way, shape or form is if he kind of set up a Vegas residency. You know, he's like, hey, I'll get a hotel, I'll get a stage, I'll, sh I'll come in, do a show for a couple thousand people, then we'll just cycle them through, cycle them through, cycle them through. And you may get two hours of Jesus, but you're not gonna get a personal relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus left his best friend, something he didn't really want to do because he loved them, he invested so deeply in them, so that the power that walked Jesus out of the grave resides in you. 
and you and you and you and you and you and you and all of you if you just ask. And you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal? You see, when you dropped your rock, you said, okay, God, I'm taking your deal. It's way more than just my sins are forgiven. Because we saying all the time, God, you took my sin and shame on the cross. And so if he has your sin and shame, you're empty. And so you have to be filled with something. And that is the spirit. And it's the spirit of God in you that does the transformational work. But here's the even cooler part. Everything that Jesus was now resides in everyone that says, I'll take the deal, I'll follow you. I'm in. And so the invitation Jesus has for us is not just, hey, come hang out when you're dead. It's the greatest life starts the moment you say yes. And God has crafted a handcrafted adventure for you to walk on this earth. And just like the disciples, you might be like, God, find someone else. Use someone else. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, and you put in the blanks whatever you say to yourself. And Jesus, if Jesus was here, would look you in the eyes and say, you're not scared. You're bold because my spirit is inside of you. You're not worthless. You're valuable because my spirit lives inside of you. You're not untalented. You're gifted because my spirit lives inside of you. You are enough because my spirit lives inside of you. You see, you left all your baggage at the foot of the cross and you picked up everything that Jesus had to offer and walked around in skin. And now it's inserted in your life. And so when you look in the mirror and you see someone that doesn't deserve grace, it's just a lie. That's not the truth. The truth is you deserve the love that God gives. And here's something I really want you to capture. I wish you could see yourself like I see you, like your leaders see you, like this camp staff sees you. The truth is, is when you know everything you've done, it's hard to see yourself like that. You see the rocks, you see the shame, you see the screw-ups. You believe what other people say. And God goes, no, 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 no. I took all that. I want you to think of it like this. Let's say I'm a billionaire. And if I keep playing my lucky numbers in the lottery, I will be one day. I'm joking, I don't play the lottery. Well, if it gets over uh, $400,000, because you know you got to then, um, that's worth it. Uh, but but if, if I was a billionaire and I went all the way over to Kenya and I adopted a boy from a mud hut that had no running water, you know, just, just no electricity, I said, come be my son. And I walk him into my multi-million dollar mansion. I walk him up the marble stairs. I pass the chandelier. I go, oh, that's a million dollars. Don't touch that. And I walk him to his amazing room with every tricked out thing that a kid would want. And I say, all of this is yours because you are my son. And the first night 
I put him in this multiple thousand dollar mattress. He's never slept in one. He's never even had sheets. I say, I love you, my boy. And I go to my bedroom and I lay down. Being a first time parent, because I just adopted this child, I'm so excited that in the middle of the night, I wake up and I was like, I wonder how he's sleeping. And I walk in his room and I look at his bed, the mattress, the toys on all over the place, and he's gone. Frantically, I look throughout the house. Where is he? Where'd he go? And I walk outside underneath this oak tree I have in my front yard, and there's a spot that the grass won't grow because the sun can't get to it. And there's my son laying on the dirt because that's what he's used to. I say, son, you don't get it. You're my son now. All this is yours. But until that son sees himself as my son or you as the heavenly father's daughter, it's never yours. And so you've got to shift the way that you see yourself because God's spirit resides in you. And what most Christians do is they've been offered a mansion and yet we sleep in the dirt. And I'm not talking like we got sin, we got addictions. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just the way you see yourself when you look in the mirror. We have such small confidence. We think so little of ourselves. We think, God, you can't use us. God, you can't do something in us. Do you know what I've done? He's like, oh, that's past. There's a statement that I constantly remind myself to help me frame up healthy thoughts. Shame looks backwards. Hope looks forward. If I ever define myself by something I have done in my past, all that is is shame because you can't go back and change it. I don't care how much regret, I don't care how much you wish you could go back and change it, I don't care how much apologizing you do, I don't care anything that you do of how you beat yourself up and you go, I'm a terrible person. That will never shift what you feel about the past. That is shame. It is what it is. But the problem is, is we look at ourselves based off where we've been, not based off where God's calling us. That's hope. So I don't care where you are in life. I don't care what you've done. Every minute that ticks on the clock is a brand new moment for you to be a brand new person. All you have to do is see in yourself what God sees in you. You're a child of his. There was a guy I actually... um, I got to work with, and um, he told me a story, and he was abused multiple times as a kid. Stepfathers, mother, it was an awful story. And to cope with all the pain and the hurt and the heartache, he started in a four-decade-long addiction. And we'd been working together, meeting together regularly, and I said, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. I said, when you fall to your addiction, when you give in. What do you think about yourself? He goes, I'm wretched. I'm horrible. I'm unlovable. I am. And he just berated himself. And I asked him this question. I said, okay, can you show me the Bible verse that tells me you that? 
Can you tell me what scripture you found that validates that? Because well, I'm sure it's in there. I go, no, it's not. I say, can I tell you what is in there? You're pure, holy, righteous, and blameless. Whether you fall to your addiction or you don't, that is who you are. Jesus didn't die for you to be moral. He died for you to live a life that matters, a life of purpose, a life that leaves an impact because he's asking you to do exactly what he asked his disciples to do. Carry forth what he started so long ago. Here's the cool part I want you to catch. Then the last meeting that John captures, they're on the side of the sea. And Jesus and Peter and the guys are talking. And Jesus looks at Peter and he said, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself, went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would have to glorify him. And then he said the same thing he said at the very beginning when we were investigating, follow me. And you know what Peter said? Jesus, that doesn't sound great. And just like all of us, they're like, well, what are you asking him to do? And he points at John, the guy writing the book. And here's what Jesus wrote. Jesus said, sorry, I missed it. Oh, I didn't write it down. I double copied. I'll tell you what he said. And so he said this, what's that to you? What is it to you? What I've made him to do. You just follow me. And so here's the invitation of Jesus. I have made you specifically you. You have a unique DNA pattern. You have a unique version of you. You are the only version of you that will ever walk the face of the earth. In the six billion people that walk the face of the earth, you're the only one of you, past, present, or future. Don't tell me God doesn't have a plan for you. And God's invitation is for you to step in and do what only you can do in building his kingdom. Now, I'm not gonna lie to you. It's not gonna be easy. And there are gonna be some Christians you look at and you're like, well, can I do that? And Jesus is gonna say, no. Don't worry about what I've asked other people to do. I need you to do what I've called you to do. Just follow. And so do you know what the invitation really is at the cross? The greatest life adventure, a life of purpose, meaning, an impact until you go spend eternity with God. So the question is, as we leave here, how do we make ourselves ready to continue what we're feeling here? I got two things I want you to do. First thing is create daily a moment of focus. Do you know why Hume is so powerful at impacting your lives? Because it focuses you on something you don't think about a lot. This one week, whether you liked it or not, we kept pointing you to Jesus, pointing you to Jesus, and you thought about it, and you thought about it, and you thought about it. It's the principle of focus. Whatever you focus on, you'll get better at. So each day, create a moment of focus. 
Create a moment of growing. Create a moment of reading the Bible. Create a moment of asking God, what is it you want from me? Take the focus that Hume has given you and impart it into your life. Put it in. The second thing is, I want you to start telling yourself what is true about you from God's word. And on the way out, they're gonna give you a piece of paper and they're all promises from scripture of because of Jesus, this is who you are. And if it's not on that list, it's not true. So what's the truth? You're amazing. You were made for a specific purpose. You were adequately equipped to face whatever it is that God calls you to. You were perfect just as you are. You're invited to step into a life of meaning. That's you. There's a, there's a test I always like to challenge people with when, they, when I ask them, how do you think about yourself? They say, well, you know. I said, can I ask you something? They're like, yeah. Pick your favorite person, the favorite little person in the whole world. Niece, nephews, brother, sister, whatever it is. Someone that's young and defenseless. Let's say you went to visit them at school and you came around the corner and you heard someone just berating someone. You're stupid. You're dumb. You don't amount to anything. You don't matter. Yada, 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 yada. You would come unglued. You would be so hurt that someone would ever talk to someone you loved like that. And so my question is for you, why in the world do you talk to yourself like that? Why do you become the bully in your own mind and tell yourself things that just aren't true? So here's what I want you to know, walking out of here. The invitation of Jesus just isn't be good people. It's not just be moral It's an invitation to the greatest life adventure you could ever have. And the way that you propel yourself forward is focus and changing the way you see yourself. And I promise you, if you do that daily, and heck, you're not gonna be perfect. If you do it regularly, you do it for enough times, you will see yourself grow and flourish as a Christ follower further than you could ever imagine. And here's what I want you to know. I believe in you. Your leaders believe in you. And you all are gonna do great things if you focus on who God made you to be and how to grow in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your goodness, your love, your mercy, all those things. And Jesus we, we don't really say this, but thanks for leaving because we are able to connect with our heavenly father in a way that we wouldn't be able to if you were here. And so thanks for taking the courage of leaving 12 men behind that inv- you invested so much in and trusting the next phase of God's plan. I don't know what these students are gonna face when they walk back home, but I know that You're with them, their leaders are with them, and they'll be okay because you are a conqueror. God, do a great work in each and every one of these people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen.